Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Well, we are in uh, part three of a community's vision, which is technically part four because we started with mission, and it's all connected. So we've been learning about our mission and our vision, which is really, really important for a community to understand who we are and what we're called to do. So we've spent some time explaining that because it's important, it's central, it defines us, and it motivates us, it directs us. And so this is a, a super important matter that we kick off the new year talking about mission and vision. So this is part three, uh, a community's mission clarifies why it exists, while a vision reveals where it wants to go. Our mission is to help people encounter Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. We need to get that in us. We need to think about that. Who is the harvest? You know, what do we do? What's our job? Every one of us should be thinking, every time we think about that, our job is to help people encounter Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. That's what we do. That's the glory of our calling, right? Our vision is, by the grace of God, to birth and establish Messianic congregations where Jewish and Gentile believers can unite, worship, fellowship, grow, and share our mission within the world that we live. So this is part three, and we'll continue to look at the five core values of what makes up a healthy church. Today, our focus is going to be on the last three of those five values. So here are the five core values that make up healthy churches. Unity, worship, fellowship, growth, and replication. So let's jump into number three. Let's talk about fellowship. This is a fascinating concept. You know, I didn't catch this and didn't really understand this uh, uh, till you know, a few years ago, but it was just amazing to see the centrality of fellowship and the importance of fellowship and how we need that in our lives. So let's talk about fellowship. Everyone wants to be connected. We want to belong. In high school, we call it peer pressure, right? Everyone just wants to belong. We have that as part of our framework. We want camaraderie, friendship, a sense of communal purpose and meaning. We're not, we're not born to be, what, hermits in a cave. You know, there's maybe some exceptions to the rule. But uh, for most of us, we want to connect. Connect with people around us. To fellowship with people that have shared values a shared worldview. Fellowship meets many of those needs. Fellowship is a communion. Think of the word communion, right? A corporate coming together in fellowship. It's a celebration of relationships that are born out of shared experiences and primarily the shared experience of our encounter with Jesus Christ. I, I'm fascinated every time I hear someone's testimony. Over and over and over, everyone has a beautiful testimony. They all have their own unique story of their encounter with Jesus when they got born again. And I just, man, I tear up. I, I just think, man, what a story. And it helps me, of course, revisit my story. And right away, there's this connection that takes place between us. When I hear someone's testimony, I'm automatically connected and vice versa. 
And that's by God's design. And it's this, this encounter with Jesus that brings us together into this fellowship of believers. I always think of the fellowship of the ring, the Lord of the Rings, all, you know. It's true. People want to connect. They want to be brought together for, for, for a common purpose, right? And Jesus is that connection for all of us. It's what unites us and brings us together. And it's in that relationship that we experience what we call fellowship with one another. I just, you know, uh, just, just the other day, it was uh, amazing. Some of our new friends that have been uh, coming here, Dr. Eugene and his wife, Judith, uh, I was able to hear her t- testimony. Oh my gosh, it was so, it was so good. I just wanted to cry. I want to cry right now. Uh, but instantaneously, what happened in her sharing that testimony with me and my wife, right away, it was like, it was like all of a sudden, uh, it was like I knew her for months. It's like we've been friends for years. It just jumped us forward in our relationship. Just, just that shared experience with Jesus. All of a sudden, have this like relationship that normally would take months, maybe years, to really get close to someone. She shares something deeply personal, her encounter with Jesus. And we were able to share some of our stories. And right away, man, that just brought us tight together and uh, collapsed those timetables that normally take quite a while to build that relationship. And that is the Spirit of the Lord in those relationships that give us that sense of family and community and belonging. So Acts chapter 2 gives us a description of fellowship and what was taking place in those early meetings. It says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to this concept of fellowship. They made way for fellowship. They planned for fellowship on purpose because they had a value for relationship. And so they on purpose met together and were sharing their testimonies. Part of it because it was meeting the very needs deep in their own hearts. And this is the power, of course, of fellowship. Truth brings truth seekers together into relationship with one another. Eating together brings people who are hungry for relationship into fellowship with one another. Sharing a meal with someone, oh, that just jumpstarts relationships like nothing before. It's amazing how that takes place. Prayer brings people into fellowship with one another. We must devote ourselves to truth, prayer, sharing meals with each other if we want to experience the power of fellowship. Invite people over for lunch. Invite people over for dinner. Invite them over for coffee. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you're like, man, you know, things are tight, I can't just, you know, invite them over for coffee. Or invite them over and tell them what they can bring so that they're sharing in the provision for that meal. But make it happen. I'll tell you what. If you just wait for someone to invite you over, you might wait a long time. Forget that. You initiate. You invite people over. And I'm sure as you do that over a period of time, you too will be invited 
it uh, uh, reciprocate, reciprocates in a, in a fascinating way. So encourage you to do that. First John 1 through 3, or First John 1, 1 through 3. The apostle says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. This apostle is, is sharing the experiences of the apostles, of those disciples who actually interacted with Jesus, who saw him, who ate with him, who touched him. These are people that have a deep, profound relationship with the author of life itself. And this is what he has to say. What we have seen, verse 3, and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. We want you to have fellowship with us. And who are you? We're the apostles. We're the ones that ate and drank with Jesus, who touched him. We were with him daily. I mean, who wouldn't want to be part of that group, right? Who wouldn't want to have fellowship and relationship with those who physically were with Jesus when he walked this earth? And indeed, he goes on to say, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Their fellowship is a fellowship with the Father and the Son precisely because they dwelled with him. And now they're saying, as you enter into that with us and join us in that shared experience, you too can experience what we've experienced, the fellowship of the Father and the Son, because through his Spirit, he indwells each and every one of us. So we get to enter into this fellowship with the living God, not just with other human beings. And that's important and that's meaningful. But to experience relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that is an amazing opportunity. And every one of us, every one of us has that opportunity in Messiah. It is a fellowship with each other and a fellowship with the eternal triune God. So in summary, we all long for and desire deep, meaningful relationships with God and with each other. And that fellowship brings a satisfaction to our lives. It's actually what makes life worth living. Jesus is the catalyst for all of this. In him and through him, we find a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. I was praying this morning, uh, as I do uh, most days, but especially on Shabbat. And I was just walking, I was, I was just walking, pacing the floor of my living room back and forth. And I was just, you know, the lights were down. I'm just like pressing in and I'm just, you know, worshiping Jesus. And as I was doing that, he he just brought this awareness to me of my life and how it started, you know, 
teenage pregnancy, unwed, you know, uh, 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 mom, and then being adopted, and then in, in a home that, you know, we were very, very um, lower middle class, you know, I mean, we just were, we, we just struggled to make ends meet. And now I'm here late in my life, and it's like I got my kids and my grandkids, and I've just got so much. I got so much. And as that awareness came on me, I couldn't even verbalize my Thanksgiving. I just started to cry. I was just crying. And I just thought, oh, God, you're so good. You are so good. Your life, your uh, watchful care over my life, your presence is everything. It's everything. I'm just so full. I'm just so full. I have so much. I have so much. We all do. We all do. In him, we are rich. In him, we are wealthy. In him, we're satisfied. And we have eternity. We have eternity. My friend who just passed away, you know, I was thinking about that. And I thought to myself, you know, when he passed, and, and he did his, his mother's funeral, and he did his father's funeral, and, and now he's passed. And I knew both his mom and his dad, and I had a relationship with them as well. Um, but I thought to myself, I told, I told Don, I said, you know, when he passed away, he probably, his next moments in, in passing, his next, next moment was probably like, you know, and, and we can all speculate about this, and I know there's a lot of room for a lot of different views on what happens in the interim between death and the return of Jesus. So, so that being stated, um, this, this is speculation, but it's very good speculation, okay? <laughs> I told Don, I said, you know, you know I, I think, I, I, I kind of believe that, that God sends someone to you to carry you over into the next realm. The Old Testament talks about being gathered to your kin. When you die, you were gathered to your family that has gone on before you. So I thought, what if God sends someone from the family? That's like your, your interface who comes to get you to bring you into that next realm, that realm of the presence of the Lord and, until we're gathered and brought back for the resurrection, right? I thought, could you imagine if it was his dad? Could you imagine if it was his brother or maybe his mother, you know? Just seeing them, you know, they said when he passed that he, he, was, he was just, he passed in peace, but, but he, he raised his eyes right before he passed and he just like focused on something. He was like looking at something. And so the family was there. They kind of like looked up like, you know, and then they looked back and he had passed away. But I thought to myself, you know, what happens if someone came and that's who he saw? Amazing, right? For us, we're, 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 we're left in this world. We still have all these challenges and so forth. But for those who die in the Lord, what an, that, the journey begins. The real journey begins, right? Oh, what a day. What a day. Yeah. Ours is a loss. His is a promotion. And um, it'll be great when, when the Lord returns. And if we die before then, it'll be great in that we are gathered to those who are already gathered and waiting. What a day that will be. All right, so there is a real life-giving encounter with Jesus and with each other. 
waiting for all of us in all of our holy gatherings. What do I mean by that? If the Father and the Son lives in you and me, then every encounter between us is also an encounter with the Father and the Son. Right? The Lord is in us. So when we encounter one another, it's just not an encounter with one another. It's an encounter with Christ in one another, an interaction with more than one, right? And the Father is just blessing and pouring out favor in those relationships. And that's where we find our meaning and our purpose in those relationships. So that when we come, we should always come with this awareness. We should create an awareness, foster an awareness that everyone in Messiah is sacred. They're holy. The Father dwells in them. The Son dwells in them. The Holy Spirit's in them. And when I interact with them, I'm also going to encounter afresh the Lord himself. That changes our relationships with one another. It heightens them. Our love for one another is heightened. People, tough times are coming. There's some really tough times that are coming. But I believe that because we're a community and we're connected, we will make it. We will persevere because we are not alone. We have each other and in each other, the Lord's presence. And so we're going to be okay. We're going to make it through. Let me shift gears now. Talked about the third one. The third value is fellowship. The fourth one is growth. Healthy churches are growing churches. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He gave them as gifts to the church. So if you read the wider context of that chapter, you'll discover that Jesus is giving gifts to his people, to his communities, so that those communities can grow. And the gifts that he gives are people. They're apostles, they're prophets, they're evangelists, they're pastors and teachers. These are gifts that he gives so that we can be equipped to do the ministry of Jesus. We'll get down to that in just one minute. But I want to uh, emphasize this. These gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they're not to be confused with elders. Elders are separate. These are gifts. Elders is an office. Elders rule and govern. Pastors, these equipping ministers, they equip. They do ministry and they equip. And, And there is shared and some overlap between elders and these fivefold ministries for sure, but they are separate and distinct. Due to the complexity surrounding these differing titles, we simply refer to each of them with the title pastor. It's just simplified. Trying to remember apostle so-and-so and prophet so-and-so or evangelist so-and-so, it gets very difficult. So we just take our fivefold ministers and we just give them the same title, pastor. But each of our pastors have differing, differing gifting in relationship to what the Lord has put in them. And I don't have time to unpack these different op- or different giftings and what they do, but suffice it to say, they're distinct in and of themselves. Our community is blessed. We are a very blessed community. 
For the size that we have, we have strong leadership, lots of leaders in our community. In fact, we have five, I think we have, actually we have a total of eight pastors currently. So myself, Joshua Craig, Shanna Gardner, Don McClellan, Christopher Mays, Donna Ware, Justin Gardner, and James Cameron. Those are our pastors. They all have their own gifting. They all fit together really well, but they're different, and they all do different things. And the Lord has given those to us, our community, so that they can equip us to do the work of ministry. In that sense, I am just filled with joy because I see what the Father's doing, what He's given to us, positioning us for ministry, and i.e., growth. Goes on to say, these are given, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. These men and women, they're given to us to keep us in the truths and ways of Messiah, equipping us to, sh- to share our faith with those around us, showing us how to pray for those around us, showing us how to deliver those around us. That's their job. That's what they do. They protect us. They bring stability, safety, and peace to our community. The apostle goes on to say in verse 15 and 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every one of us has gifting. Every one of us is called to serve. And it's in serving one another that we find meaning and purpose. Jesus, in one uh, setting, took his disciples by surprise. He broke all the boundaries of what decorum looks like in the world when you deal with hierarchy. So here he is, the Messiah, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And on this occasion, he takes a, a towel and a basin of water and he girds himself. And he bows down and begins to wash their feet. And they're like, don't do that. You know, this is not appropriate. You are the Mashiach. You know, who are we? And he continues to wash their feet. And when he gets done, he says, do you realize what I have done? I have served you even though I'm the Messiah. And if I, the Messiah, can bow and serve you and wash your feet, I want you to do that for each other. I want you to learn to serve one another. The Son of Man has not come to be exalted. He has come to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. As I've loved you, you are to love one another. And he gave us that paradigm, left us with that 
beautiful picture of service. And so we, walking in His ways, are to model what that looks like. What does it look like? Serving one another. How do we do that in a community? There's lots of needs. There's lots of ministries, and everybody needs more volunteers. All of our leaders are always looking for more volunteers. To do what? The work of service. So that we as a community can be taught, trained, equipped, and raised up to be a light in our city. So I want to encourage you in this area of of service and ministry to uh, make sure that you have a place that you're serving, that you are pouring yourself out like perfume on his feet, right? So if you're, if you're here and you're not serving, please say, see Pastor Shana. Pastor Shana will help you find a place where you can serve. We serve every week. I've been serving every week. I've served almost every week my entire Christian life. In my previous churches, I have served. I found early on, my dad put this inside of me. He told me, he said, son, when you serve others, you're serving the Lord. And that's the reward. The reward is your encounter with the Lord, that you get to serve his people in that, and that alone is a great reward. And so I've always served week in and week out. I love it. That's where I find the sizzle. And I know that's counterintuitive. It's like, no, I just want to come and sit. I'm sorry, it's not a Broncos game, and you're not a spectator. This is the kingdom of God, and you have power and glory and authority, and you're called to serve and love one another. And this is how we're going to reach our city along with other churches. Okay, so let me go to the last one, replication. Replication. Healthy churches replicate. They're, they're, well, let me just read this because I'm running out of time. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want us to focus on this aspect of teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Our job is to help people encounter Jesus Christ in a way that results in them getting born again. Then we're going to baptize them, get them involved in the church, and then we're going to teach them a way of life that's full of blessing and glory. That's what we're called to do. So what is it that we're going to teach them, right? It says, teach them all that I've commanded you. Matthew 5, 18 through 20. This beloved is the truth. Jesus is speaking. This beloved is the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not one letter, not one pin stroke will disappear from the sacred law. For everything, everything in the sacred law will be fulfilled and accomplished. Verse 19. Anyone who breaks even the smallest, most obscure commandment, not to mention teaches others to do the same, will be called small and obscure in the kingdom of heaven. But those who practice the law and teach others how to live the law will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus taught the Torah as a way of life for those who were redeemed. Therefore, we do too. 
That's what we do in the harvest. We disciple people. We show people how to love God, how to love their self, how to love their neighbor. This is the essence of the Torah, and this is what we do. And what's the result? The result is churches grow. As a result of this, churches grow, and as they grow through outreach, they're able to plant new churches in new places where the kingdom can continue to expand and advance on earth as it is in heaven. Three things a church needs to replicate. More people. Got to have more people. How do we get more people? By sharing our faith and doing the works of Jesus and inviting people to church. How many people came to church? If you think back to when you first started going to church, right? How many people went to church because someone invited you to church? Raise your hand. You were invited. Think about it. You were invited. Yeah, most of you came to church because someone invited you. Someone reached out to you. Someone loved you and said, hey, you should come to church. And you came and look what you found. Life, Jesus, his people. It's amazing. Those needs now are being met. And now you're hooked. And you're here every week. It's amazing how that works. That's how we grow. And then we need more leaders. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus went through many towns and villages. He taught in their synagogues. He preached the good news of the kingdom of God. And he healed every disease and sickness. Whenever crowds came to him, he had compassion for them because they were so deeply distraught, malaised, and heartbroken. They seemed to him like lost sheep without a shepherd. Jesus understood what an awesome task was before him. So he said to his disciples, verse 38, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into his harvest field. Ask the Lord to send more workers. Look around you. Look around you. You know who you are? You're one of the workers. Yeah, Jesus Christ lives in you. You got a story. You have a testimony. You share that with those around. People people are, are looking for an encounter with the living God, and he lives in you. Never discount who you are. Never discount your life story. Share with people around you what the Lord has done in your life and get ready because they'll respond to that. Pray for them, love on, on them, do acts of kindness, right? And invite them to church. And as you do, our churches grow. And as they grow, we're able to plant more. And as we plant more, we're able to reach more lives for the kingdom. And that's how this thing works. And that's how we're going to grow our church. Our heart is to reach as many people as we can for Jesus. Like I said, tough times are coming. And it's going to get so crazy. And we're talking globally, not just in the U.S. On so many different fronts, no one's going to sort that out. No one's going to figure out a plan to somehow figure all that out. It's way too complicated. Just give that up. 
That's not your focus anyway. You got one focus to help people encounter the one that can sort it all out, to help people encounter the one that can preserve you through it all, to help people to encounter the one that will cause them to be born again and become eternal like all of us. Our job is to help people encounter Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. So you can put up slide 35. I want you to think through this. Get it in you. We exist to help people encounter Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. We'll do acts of kindness, pray for healing, pray for deliverance, touching those around us with the gospel of the kingdom and inviting them where they can encounter all of you and grow with us in our mission and our mandate. Our vision, once again, to birth and establish Messianic congregations where Jewish and Gentile believers can unite, worship, fellowship, grow, and share our mission within the world that we live. So let's work together. Let's ask God for growth in numbers. Let's pray for opportunities to reach out and touch people around us. We are the laborers of his field. Let's pray and strategically plant campuses and congregations in our city. Let's pray and believe God to finance it through his people. And that, of course, is important. Money. It's the third thing that's needed to plant churches. Like the writer of Ecclesiastes so notably stated, money answereth all things. So we're going to need some money too. That's the easiest part though. Money's the easiest part. You know, that just, if we got the vision in place and we're doing the works of Jesus, God will give us the provision that we need to plant more churches. So may 2024 be a year of substantial growth for us in our community and for the church at large in our city, our nation, and in the world in Yeshua's glorious name. Shabbat Shalom.